Y'all are listening to the Maverick of Marketing Radio Show. And now, here's your host, Shannon Maverick. Good Monday morning to you, everyone. Yes, this is your host, Shannon Maverick, uh, on the Maverick of Marketing Radio, and I'm so excited to be in the studio this morning. We have so much going on in B2B news, and I just have the best guest coming up um, who I had the pleasure of meeting kind of through, I guess, the way you do it in 20th century through social media. (laughs) And joined with me, as always, Mr. Tyler Kern. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you, Shannon? I'm doing fabulous. Uh, Like I said, there's... Last week, I guess it's just 2019 wrapping up and 2020 quickly coming. There are some things that are just moving in B2B. It is uh, <laughs> it is just a moving and shaking time, moving I suppose. We I were know. talking before the show just that it's crazy. It's already November 4th. Like, how did this happen? I, I can't. How did I, we get here? I know, because you think, well, actually, it works out now that we have kind of three full weeks until Thanksgiving, yeah. which normally November just feels like it zips by. And then December, I mean, everybody's kind of got Christmas on their mind. So right, just right. finishing up the rest of things. So yeah, it, it feels like we have a couple months left till 2020, but really, it's not that long in the world of business. So really not. I know. We're talking about ABC. (laughs) Always be closing. Always be closing. (laughs) Yes. exactly um, right. Or in my case, always be casting. Always be casting. I love that. It applies to all different verticals (laughs) in B2B. It's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. But like I mentioned, Tyler, we have some really, really awesome content coming up here. Um, Most notably is our guest, on the show this morning. Yes. It is uh, Dr. Carl Rossini Jr. Mm-hmm. He touts several awesome accolades in the world of marketing, including an MBA from SMU University here All in right. Dallas, a doctorate in business administration with a marketing emphasis from Argosy University, mm-hmm. and he's working on his master's. Wow. So, I mean, if two wasn't enough, he may as well just round it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But he uh, has worked for several big giants in the marketing world, but actually now spends his time teaching the next generation of marketing experts at the Art Institute of Dallas, as well as Brookhaven Community College. So That's really awesome. Yeah, Carl reached out to me and just had the most incredible idea for kind of his passions in marketing, Mm -hmm. not only focusing on how he's now moved from being kind of the pupil to the master or the teacher, if you will, but um, more importantly, kind of the modern switch that we've seen in marketing from just ads and... and, um, things like that entertaining you about a company or a product to really the market demanding that you you show them why your product is unique right. instead of just kind of the the fluff, the fantasy aspect. So we'll hear all about that from him, which I'm so excited about. But um, a few other big things going on in, in B2B, including Google. So I'm already on the the other end with my Apple watch here, but (laughs) Google uh, recently finished off its um, acquisition of Fitbit. $2.1 $2.1 billion acquisition. That's a huge acquisition. Well, I mean, it's Google, so that doesn't really mean much. <laughs> but um, yeah, it said that in order to compete with its biggest uh, competitor in the space being that Apple, mm-hmm. they had to round out their Nest, or excuse me, their um, they had to round out their product line right. with... A smartwatch. Yeah, really, some more wearables and that sort of thing. Yeah, because they have the, what is it, the Pixel? Is it the Google? Yeah, their that's phone? actually the phone I have. Oh, randomly. you're kidding. Yeah, yeah. I have a Google Whoa. Pixel, right? <laughs> Look, the fingerprint thing is on the back, right? Ooh. Interesting. Innovative. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's a it's a, it's a, a fine it's phone. It's a smartphone. It's a, it's, it's a smartphone, yeah. you know? There's not everything. much that you can do with other phones that you can't do with it. It's, <laughs> you know, this is... 
I don't yeah. know. I, I don't I don't dive too much into the weeds on that. But yeah, yeah. Right. But yeah, so rounding out their product line and kind of bringing in Fitbit into yep. uh, into the realm gives them uh, a more broad offering, I suppose. Yeah, it was their biggest um, consumer tech acquisition since their acquisition, excuse me, of Nest. Um, So, yeah, about five years ago. So they're not really in the hardware space. I mean, Google obviously being known for its software applications. But, yeah, I just had to kind of round out its its product offerings in order to stay competitive. Um, So, yeah. The interesting interesting thing about that to me is that you think about how much data Google collects via Google Maps, right? Like Mm -hmm. it knows when you need to go somewhere. It tells you, you know, how long it's going to take for you to get to work. Google already has all of that kind of information. But now if you're giving it Fitbit information as well, you're telling it your heart rate. You're telling that. And so Google all of a sudden is also going to have a lot more data about who you are and from a health perspective, a lot of different things about you from a health perspective. You're totally right. And then from a movement perspective, you know, yeah. Where you're walking and, and where you're going and things like that. So it's also just kind of rounding out a, a data subset on you as an individual that maybe they didn't have before either. Yeah. Because Apple, now Apple's running ads telling them, that, you know, we're keeping your data safe and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. your personal data is your personal data and all that kind of thing. But Apple's had that because of the Apple Watch for a while now. And that's something that maybe Google hasn't had. So in addition to rounding out the product line and offering maybe a full, a service. more full service. Yeah, exactly. They now also can boast the you know pretty much an equal amount of data to that that uh, apple has so yeah. that that's particularly fascinating to me just from a uh, i guess a more data driven perspective <laughs> yeah i mean it really rounds out kind of the the user profile if you will yeah. of all their different um yeah users of google products so i thought it was also interesting that uh right before the acquisition was finalized facebook actually swooped in mm-hmm. and made an offer to fitbit and google came back with hmm, we're gonna just go ahead and double what it is wow that, yeah literally yeah. doubled yeah. the offer that facebook had made so, that's I mean, impressive obviously Fitbit made <laughs> made the better choice for them monetarily. Yes. But anyways, yeah, just an interesting kind of B2B correlation there. Um, also have a bit of an update yes. to a previous segment that we had done on Johnson & Johnson. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a story that had come out that there were trace amounts of asbestos found in Johnson & Johnson baby powder. Mm-hmm. And obviously, anytime uh, any product that has any kind of trace chemicals in it, it's a, it's a big deal, but especially when it comes to like baby products. Right. So a little update, there was an article that said that on CNN Business that there were no further traces found. So it must have just been a bad batch. Um, Johnson Johnson covering it up. I don't know if we want to go into conspiracy theories. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I saw it as I was kind of perusing scene in business last week. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. So to all the parents out there, I guess Johnson Johnson baby powder is safe. It all, I guess, depends on how much tr- consumer trust you place in a product well, and in a brand. And if, like, uh, do you have that built up trust with Johnson and Johnson? Uh, because if if you remember back to the whole bluebell thing, right, with the listeria yes. craze, like people died from that yeah. whole thing, you know, where listeria was found in, in bluebell and that that whole uh, episode and whatnot. But consumer confidence and the affinity for that particular product was so high that there were like celebrations in grocery stores when it came back, I know. almost completely forgetting about and ignoring what had happened previously. So does Johnson and Johnson have that same goodwill built up with their customers that? This is just a momentary slip up, a lapse, you know, and we're going to get back on track and everything's going to be fine. And in a year, nobody's going to remember or even mention this. 
or is this something that affects them long term? And you kind of just have to wonder where that consumer confidence and consumer affinity is. I was going to say, I think it all goes down to how much brand loyalty they've built in their consumer base. Like you're saying, if something that major happens, I mean, I'm not a mother yet, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd want to chance it. Right, right. (laughs) So I don't know. I'd maybe wait a little while to see all those batches kind of get cleared. Exactly. And they start anew and then I might go back. But I don't know. It... It kind of, even if the science has come back and said it's safe, you there's always going to be that slimmer of doubt, yeah. you know, in their consumers. So, yeah. Interesting I'm update. I'm with you on that. Uh, another fun article that I read from Forbes, mm-hmm. um, the best places for business and careers in 2019. Yeah. Can you take a guess as to who might be the top slot? Ooh. Best place for businesses and careers. I will warn you, it's been one of the top slots for, I think, going on like five or six years now. I'm going to guess... Austin. Really? Yeah. All right. Talk about brand loyalty with Texas here. (laughs) Yeah, right. I I don't know. Like a thriving area growing all the time. True. Lots of tech companies, things like that. I'm I'm going to go Austin. I'll tell you Austin's in the top 25. Okay. I feel decent about that guess. Yeah. However, I mean, in my mind, I go here almost every summer. I have some family that lives Mm -hmm. up there, but it's Seattle. Interesting. Seattle, Washington. I mean, it boasts some of the biggest companies in the world. Microsoft. Amazon, yeah. Microsoft, Starbucks, Nordstrom, Boeing. Wow. I didn't so, know that. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, um, some of the biggest in the in the world. And its economy compared to just other cities across the U.S. have steadily been growing three times of average economies of cities its its size. So, I guess it's just a big hub for tech. I, I mean, I love it because yeah. it's a break from the Texas heat when I go up in the summer. That's a good point. But, um, Beautiful spot to visit for sure. Yeah, I will say the article that I read on Forbes said that because of the cost of living um, continually increasing, mm-hmm. the cost of doing business, and actually average income has really slowed down in the last few years. Huh. Um, it's pushing companies to start coming down to its number two spot for best cities in Texas, or excuse me, best cities to uh, live and work. Can you guess what number two might be? Might it be our local city here, Dallas? It's our hometown. <laughs> yep, Dallas. Dallas, Texas is nice. second. Um, just beat out Raleigh. Um, North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. Fascinating. So Raleigh had been second for f- the last five years, mm-hmm. and Dallas moved from six in 2018 all the way up to second. And I think it's just that cost of living, right. um, cost of doing business. Sure. The taxing is a lot more lenient. Sure. Um, so, yeah, Dallas. Second, for best cities to do business or best, yeah, best cities to do business and for your careers. I love so it. We're in the right place. Glad I'm here already and <laughs> not have to move here. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. I know. So I found that really interesting. I was like, okay, I'm in the right place. Yeah, but no kidding. Like I said, Texas and Washington both have three cities in the top 25. Wow. So Dallas, Austin, and Fort Worth. And for Washington, it's Seattle, Tacoma, and Olympia. There you go. So I do love both those states. So <laughs> looks like I'll always be in a good spot to do business. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're in the right spot. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to head to a quick break here. And when we come back, we're joined with Dr. Carl Rossini Jr. Um, talking about all things modern marketing. So everyone stay tuned. Have you ever thought to yourself, podcasts are pretty cool. I should use one to market my company. Good news. You're not alone. But where do you start? MarketSkills Thought Leadership Club makes it easy to dive into the world of B2B podcasting. With in-house podcast production, audio hosting, and more, MarketSkill can be your podcast partner that sets you up as a thought leader in your industry, creating the content that powers B2B. For more information, 
head to marketscale.com and find out what thousands of companies already know to be true, that podcasting is the future of thought leadership in B2B marketing. Um, I'm thrilled to have joining me today on Maverick of Marketing, Dr. Carl Rossini Jr., who comes with a laundry list of um, industry expertise in the marketing space, as well as some great educational accolades, including a doctorate of business administration from Argosy University and, and an MBA from SMU. So, Dr. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really enjoying being on here. I think this show is really fun. Oh, well, thank you. We're so glad to have you. Um, I can't appreciate or thank you enough for coming on. Um, I really enjoyed our first conversation that we had really talking, excuse me, about how marketing has really changed um, recently. And especially with your current work, teaching kind of the up and coming youth in marketing at both Brookhaven College and um, the Art Institute here in Dallas. I would really just like to kind of hear your perspective on what inspired you to move from practicing marketing and all the great companies and um, industry expertise you've had to teaching students about the actual um, art of marketing. What inspired kind of that change? Well, when I first started out in the um, marketing industry, I was an assistant account executive for Stan Richards. Um, and really enjoyed that. And I was an account executive, then got an MBA, and then um, did some Fortune 500 um, business planning with Texas Instruments, and then went back into the advertising industry. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the excitement, the adrenaline, uh, and re- meet, meeting goals with the team, with the whole team together, pulling yeah. together to meeting marketing goals. But I eventually realized that... Um, you know, my niche was I was a coach. I love that. That, you know, I was kind of a John Wooden. I was, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a college basketball coach. Where I really excelled was um, working with other people and bringing them to an understanding of what their value was and kind of bringing them along, helping them with their deficiencies and, you know, inspiring them. And I also found that was very uh, satisfying. So in my actual career, I probably worked with dozens of young designers. um, And that was kind of my niche was Mm -hmm. getting better creative from young designers. And so I I just leapt over into the teaching side. And I think that's a, a really good, satisfying fit for me. I love that. Yeah, we kind of have that in common. For my listeners who didn't know, I um, have ridden horses since I was little and got to work professionally for a great rider for a few years and found that I, like you, Carl, had a lot more enjoyment and fulfillment from teaching Mm -hmm. people to ride as opposed to trying and going out and competing and doing it professionally myself. So I can totally personally relate to that. There's a sense of uh, like you said, fulfillment and really just getting a pure joy of seeing others kind of pick up on the the passions that you have. Um, and through it's kind that, of funny because mm-hmm. go ahead. No, well, no, I was please. just thinking, you know, the way you were sharing, it just brought to mind something I'd never really thought of before. But you know, if you're a superstar, you have one career. Mm-hmm. But you know, I have dozens of people that are moving up in their young careers. You know, they're um, art directors, social media, you know, managers, 
at the Richards Group. They're working for Tracy Locke. They're working for um, Leo Burnett. And so, you know, vicariously, I'm enjoying seeing them roll and rock it up. Yeah. And um, I I just don't know. For my particular personality, there's no thrill like that. Yeah. That's so true. If you're just doing it for yourself, you have one shot at it. But if you teach it to others, you feel like you're living vicariously through everyone and get all these experiences. So thanks so much for sharing that. That's so true. And through kind of working I with can, those I mean, students. Mm-hmm. Like you had you had a, a segment, I think, last week where you were talking about the, the, the astronauts. Yes. You know, and I kind of feel like, um, which was a fun segment, but I think you know, I kind of get the students to the second stage and then I just sit there with my mouth open as they blast the third stage blast into the orbit. <laughs> and that is that. so fun. You know, oh, it's so really, fun. I just think it's, uh, you know, everyone has their own niche. It took me a while, you know, 20 years to find mine, but I think this is a good, um, fit for me. And let me just say, definitely teaching the art of marketing is something, especially teaching kind of the business application to the creative minds is so important because the great thing about marketing, I always like to think about it, is it the chicken or the egg kind of theory? Does the way that humans just generally digest and and get their information dictate how companies market to them? Or is it the marketing companies that put out this information kind of change the way that people see and engage with, I guess, just the marketplace in general? So mm-hmm. I know that you had reached out and were saying that you've really seen the shift kind of from the idea of smoke and mirrors, kind of fantasy, um, really pretty advertising to, no, just get to the point. Tell me why I need this product. Give me actual facts and actual bullet points on what you're offering. So. Can you kind of explain the shift that you've seen and how you're kind of inspiring those students that you work with to adapt to how the market is changing? Well, I think this is a thought that um, in general comes from Marshall McLuhan and then other people that I've worked with, including uh, Mark Stallman at the Center for the Study of Digital Life in New York, um, have refined. But I think that the basic idea is that once you enter the digital age, it's not just another medium. It completely changes the way people think about their lives, the information uh, that they're receiving from their senses, and it changes the way they can be persuaded. So we were talking about before, you know, the classic, you know, Mr. Whipple, you know, Parker and Gamble. Yes. um, Literally smoke, you know, like, for example, the current, you know, Lincoln campaign with the uh, McConaughey was, you know, driving mm-hmm. through pink smoke, you know, um, <laughs> that creates an image in the mind that's supposed to be compelling, but I don't think it's working anymore. Mm-hmm. I think people think it's fake. I think that, um, it's not seen as compelling or as my students would say, the man is lying. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. like the man is opening his mouth. Yep. He's lying. It's what they're putting <laughs> out there really is not authentic not fact-based it's not solving anyone's problem Um, it's not adding any value to their life so i think this environment that we're in now it's not just a tiny little change it's a total sea change in how people are going to be persuaded they're going to be persuaded now you know by something that's authentically solving their problem authentically adding value and you have to demonstrate that to them yeah. And no amount of shaky cam, smoke and mirrors is going to do that. I think we're going to 
be using the digital environment to give information to um, really demonstrate to who's ever making the decision that buying a certain product or entering a certain group or whatever you're persuading them to do, think or feel or act in a certain way, is going to make it better for their life. And it has to be done in a logical way with facts and reasoning. And yeah. so that is a complete you know, change from, you know, standard TV fantasy advertising. I agree. And do you see this application being both on the business to consumer and the business to business side? Or is there kind of um, one leaning more than the other? I think the theory and I think the reality is that anyone who grows up in a digital environment, whose mind is being impacted by the digital environment. And I think my students kind of have one foot in both maybe one in, in both spheres, the TV fantasy and the digital reality, but mm -hmm. anyone who grows up in that environment is going to be impacted and they're going to see the world in that way. So it doesn't really matter um, whether they're making a business, business decision, whether they make a consumer decision, a political decision, a decision on you know which... Um, branch of the military to join. I mean, they're going to be right. making it with a mind that's been formed through, you know, facts and value and problem solving. And so um, I think maybe in a way, I think the business, the business um, practitioners um, like market scale and others are really going to be leading maybe the consumer um, advertisers, you know, the, 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 mm -hmm. the larger, at least for now, you know, the inner publics, the publicists, you know, yeah. those, those people are still somewhat, you see that they've still got one foot in the fantasy world for, you know, fantasy branding. Um, and they're kind of reluctantly moving into a more digital reality world where, um, I think market scale is already there. Yeah. Obviously. Well, thanks. Yeah, we something that I always like to talk about, whether it's market scale oriented or just marketing in general, is education is the highest form of marketing. And I think that just like you were saying, we have to kind of take take that foot finally out of that fantasy realm because we're so just as humans now inundated with information, whether it be on social media, whether it be, I mean, you can't get on the web without getting some kind of ad thrown in your face. And the companies that can communicate their value proposition very clearly and concisely, I think are the ones that are really going to win the business of their their marketplace in the end. And um, yeah, so it's interesting to hear you've seen that with your students and, and it I'm hoping you're helping inspire a very um, educational next realm of marketers because that's the fun thing about marketing is it's always adapting. It's always changing. And you never know if it's just the way that humans think or if it's the marketing companies that are driving this change. But either way, it keeps it fun. Um, so thanks for so I do much. think you can have it. I, think, I do think you can make it. I get the marketing people can make it worse because if <laughs> you keep if you keep putting if you keep putting fantasy and imagery into the mind, then the mind is plastic and it will eventually adopt to that and it will take more of that. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of like part of the revolution by having it being, you know, fact-based, um, more authentic. I think that 
since people's minds are plastic, then the more they get of that, then the more they're receptive to it. Yeah. So to that sense, you know, you can either contribute to the problem or you can solve the problem. Agreed. And that's why people like yourself are so important because you're helping lead the charge with these next marketers that are coming up and really changing the way that people do get this information and make it a more um, tech savvy world, if you will. (laughs) Uh, So I always like to ask uh, my guests if there's anybody that's really influenced you throughout your marketing career, you can name them personally or just talk about their impact that they've had on your career. But who would you love to shout out as a true maverick in the realm of marketing? Can anybody come to mind? Um, One gentleman, his name was... um He's deceased now. His name was um, Tom Mullins, went by the nickname of Tapper. Love it. Um, was a little bit older than I was. He was a um, company commander in World War II. Wow. And then uh, he had a degree in history from Georgetown. And he started out at um, J. Walter Thompson in New York as a clerk in the um, file photo um, area of the library. So somebody would say, hey, we need a four position only of a sailboat, and he would find it, <laughs> you know, in the flat file. That's great. <laughs> and bring it to the art director. <laughs> and then he got to be a senior vice president. But he was, um, when I worked um, for, um, there was a company that George Lois bought, an advertising agency, um, EJL Lois, and he was the senior vice president of marketing. I was uh, a marketing uh, brand strategist for them. And I worked with him for, I guess, about 10 years, almost 10 years. And um, he was very fact-based, you know, noble, um, straightforward person. And I was, he was kind enough, you know, every, I don't know, twice a week or whatever, I'd have a 45-minute discussion if I couldn't figure something out, which was uh, pretty frequently. I would <laughs> call him and he was kind enough to, you know, talk to me. And so, you know, after doing that for, you know, eight, nine years every week, um, finally, I think by my early forties, I was to the point where I could be a marketing director on my own, but he was, um, he's kind of a guy that he he passed away, but he's was, um, you know, he worked for David Ogilvy of Ogilvy and Mather. He worked for Jay Walter. Um, and incredible just was a New York ad guy and I just really um, still miss him. Oh, well, I mean, spending that much time, I mean, 45 minutes, at least a few times a week, really sharing his knowledge and, and taking time to help you as a young marketer really find your way and, and figure figure it out and grow your career, that will make a lasting impact. And it sounds to me like you've carried that over into your career, working in the marketing realm, but then also working with these young students and really shaping their marketing careers and giving them that expertise. So it sounds like it's the, the master was teaching the pupil and now you've transitioned into the master and you're teaching the next round of pupils so that's incredible interesting how we shift roles like that isn't it (laughs) i know it's kind (laughs) of like your earlier life is foreshadowing what's to come and it sounds like you've had some great mentors and are now being a great mentor to all these students um appreciate that yeah yeah i really enjoy it it's um it really provides a strong you know motivation to you know, stay up with the industry and mm-hmm. to be a good example to them. 
you know, and so I think it provides a good motivation for me to stay on the straight and narrow and keep, keep after it to know that, um, you know, it does matter to people. Absolutely. That I do a good job. Yeah. And Carl, that's what makes you a maverick of marketing, staying on top of the industry, really making sure you're doing the best by your students and really just making sure you're you're staying tapped into how the marketplace is actually digesting its information now and how you can help these students become adaptable and flexible to that. So I'm proud to say that you are in the Maverick of Marketing Club, and I'm so glad that you were able to come on and kind of chat and share all that great knowledge. I, I really appreciate your time. And and be sure to follow Carl on social media. And um, yeah, we'll we'll have to have you on the show again here soon, Carl. Thanks a lot, Sean. All right, we'll have a great rest of I your day. I didn't get to use my horse and buggy to car an hour at the time, so I'm gonna have to do it later. Let's do it next time. <laughs> yes, we'll have to have you come up here. I can't wait. It'd be really fun. <laughs> okay, Carl. Well, I'll talk with you later. All right. Well, I told y'all that that was going to be an absolutely incredible segment. Gosh, Carl just has such a laundry list of marketing experience and accolades that he just made one of the most amazing guests and hope you enjoyed all of that. And let me know. Also, follow me on social media. If you share those similar ideas about how marketing's really shifted, I'd love to hear your approach. Um, So that'll do it. This is Shannon Maverick on the Maverick of Marketing Radio, and I will talk to all you lovely people next Monday. (laughs) 